Hello, I'm James Young, and this is Out of Control, the unofficial Premier League Years podcast. Joining me to discuss all things 1994 to 95 is the wonderful Santa Notch, sometimes from the uh, Stratford Paddock YouTube channel and uh, on various social media platforms as well, to discuss the fact that he actually supported the Libertines in his band, talking about all sorts of great music from the time and Blackburn Rovers' uh, 1994-95 title-winning campaign as uh, they snuck it just at the end away from Manchester United. It's a great episode, this, and uh, stick around because there are some great anecdotes from uh, Santa Notch's time living uh, in the, the 90s and growing up around all the, the great music and everything else that existed alongside it. So, we are joined by Santa Notch, the Notchster. Some people might know him from the uh, Stratford Palette YouTube channel. Some people might know him from the, uh, the bands that he was in before. But more importantly, you were around to uh, experience the 1994-1995 Premier League campaign. I was indeed there, yes. Hello there. <laughs> so, have, uh, you seen, have you seen Premier League years before? Yes, I've seen. I've seen most of the years uh, <laughs> over and off. It's just, it's just a Sky TV series, ultimately. It's, it's, you know, because it's, it's what I always say to people is that it is just insane. There's no real like, um, you know, storyline to it. They'll show sort of random games that are like four or five minutes too long. They'll drop random things in like already. So we go straight into August, and we've got the Charity Shield and all of the other sort of montages that you expect, and literally. A minute and a half in, we have our first handbrake turn, which is Andy Cole um, signing for United, which I'm not sure why they've included that in August, um, into Dennis Wise being charged with assault, Bruce Grovelar being accused of match-fixing, Chris Armstrong failing a drugs test, and then a Paul season Wilson of scandals, <laughs> yes. <laughs> admitting addiction, it's like, what? The season's most significant transfer saw Andy Cole depart Newcastle to join Manchester United. You've got, you know, you've got to allow me to do that. If it doesn't work, you know, I know what the implications are. I know, I know what the bottom line is. But it was a season full of shocks and scandals. Dennis Wise convicted of assault. Bruce Grobelar and co accused of match fixing. Chris Armstrong failed the drug test. while Paul Merson admitted his addiction. <laughs> Chaos. It was pretty mad, but you know there were some of them that I thought was quite funny because when you think about Chris Armstrong's uh, failed drug test, he, was mis- he lost four games, I think, as a result of it. And then fast forward to uh, a Manchester United player missing a drug test <laughs> and actually taking it, what, 15 minutes late or something? Yeah. And Seb Blatter comes in and said, no, ban him for the rest of the season. Where was the consistency? You know, well, it's the it same with them um, later on. Obviously, we can't start getting a, a ban for uh, yeah. kicking a fan for sort of no reason. But again, there's, there's a couple of interesting things that I saw sort of in August. So we've slightly, you know, the early Sky Strikers novelty Premier League era is kind of waning a bit. We've got a couple more foreign players in there now, like Klinsman, Cantona, um, and there's a couple of new rules as well, which I kind of forgot came in at this time. So there's a big sort of sky graphic that appears that talks about um, attitude and anyone who processes a bad decision will be cautioned. And it's, it's interesting to think that before this, you could basically go up to a ref, sort of Martin Keown-esque and just shout in his face. And it was mm. like just accepted almost. I don't think people knew where to draw the line with it. You know, mm. whether can you swear? Can you actually protest something? You know, it, I mean, I go back to the days when you weren't, the refs weren't even showing yellow or red cards. <laughs> if you go back to the mid 80s, because I'm more of an 80s kid. But 
I don't know. It's like a weird one. I don't mm. know. Uh, yeah. There's a couple of other like interesting things as well that are from a sort of bygone era that I like. There was a great shot of people sat on the roof of Filbert Street in Leicester's first game of the season. And because of the way that sort of stadia is now, you just don't get those grounds because everything sort of looks no, similar a, in terms trans- of grounds, you know. Yeah, it was a transitional period. But after what happened at High Saul, the report came in and suddenly everybody had to update their stadiums and it was going to take years and years and years. So you had that transitional period. You know, United, the Manchester United in 93 had to um, completely rebuild the Stratford end. And so you had games where capacity crowds were varying up and down all the time. And you had uh, work being done while the season was, was uh, going on. So you would have situations like what happened at Filbert Street. You know, it was bizarre. Um, and, uh, you know, seating all being put in as well. So stands, you know, st- um, standing room was going. And now we've come full circle because we've now got safe standing coming in. <laughs> yeah. But this is the thing. So, I mean, with Sky especially, they've obviously spent loads of money on the Premier League, but there were so many montages in this. It was ridiculous mm-hmm. that the, the main one in, in August was what looked to me like the sort of local piss head in Nottingham in sort of the town centre playing a song about Pierre Van Hoyding. And it was about two minutes of him just playing this awful song <laughs> that made absolutely no sense. Brian Roy, Stan Collymore and Stuart Pierce's sound. Kingsley back and Brian Laws are on the city ground. Ruffy's gone and Clark's arrived to change our hailing fortune. It was a good start for Frank Clark's side, but how would they fare against bigger opposition? <laughs> With the, the kind of sheriff of Nottingham <laughs> twang to it. I, don't, I know, but, but I guess that's fan behaviour, isn't it? It's bizarre. Yeah, but it's not normal, though, is it? Like, if you oh, like Pierre Van Hoyding, you wouldn't go into the town centre with, like, a sort of weird, like, harp <laughs> thing almost and start playing it. It's just bizarre. It's like, well, it's been more the sort of character you'd find at a, a music festival <laughs> or, a, you know, or, or some random protest event or something, you know, and then suddenly, oh, this is the face of football fans. Really? <laughs> I don't well, again, so like, we've got all sorts of other stuff as well, because obviously this is the year that um, Blackburn, United give Blackburn the league because they feel sorry for everyone else. Um, yeah. And there's a montage of obviously the whole SAS, Sheer and Sutton thing. And there's mm-hmm. such a loud bang at the start of this like i had probably my ad my headphones in it It was on maybe two or three and it just was so loud it was just a alan shearer had an expensive new striking partner blackburn upping the transfer record to five million pounds to form the famous duo I was like, right, okay. And obviously there's stupid text and like all sorts of stuff. It's like they've got the, the sort of free trial of Windows Movie Maker and they just don't know what to do with it, basically. <laughs> I don't know. What I noticed, especially on, on, on the Sky coverage of the on this show, was more um, they would showcase, oh, Manchester United had the importance of Cantona and Arsenal had this and Nottingham Forest had that. But then you had this nice long piece about Liverpool and, oh, they're, they're building this new stand. Yes. They're going to be the team of the future. They're going to be the staff, the stadium of the future. Again, it's always been this media bias. It's almost as if they couldn't stand the fact that Liverpool were no longer winning trophy after trophy. And they just need to, for some reason, um, curry favour with this football club of everybody else. And it was at the expense of 
you know, Manchester United taking over, suddenly winning the double, suddenly uh, winning two titles in a row and um, facing a massive, uh, massively brilliant future. And they just don't want to concentrate on Liverpool. <laughs> yeah, well, that's so United uh, appear on this sort of early on, uh, beating Spurs 1-0. So, I mean, there's some great songs in this episode. Two Can Play That Game by Bobby Brown. Over the yes. top of that. Great song. But missed penalties by Teddy Sheringham were proving a problem, especially when Man United won at White Hart Lane. Yeah, yeah. I mean, musically... It was, uh, I always say, like, musically, it was the 80s and 90s were a very, very halcyon period following the whole punk rock explosion. And what was great about those days was different scenes were happening, especially, I mean, in the 90s, you had like, coffee table, I'll call it coffee table music, the kind of shuffly, fairly mellow um grooves of stuff like Morchiba or whatever, you know, that was everywhere. Mm. And all you had the dance music. Um, where you know you had remixes such as that Bobby Brown one, which was a fantastic song. Um, my favorite album of that year was actually uh, the Manic Street Preachers, yes, on our Holy Bible, um, because it's a very, very poignant album where Richie really came into his own with his uh, lyric writing, and then when they had that very, very gritty feel to it. And then this was also the year that Richie went missing as well, mm, of course. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, the Manic Street Preachers and the whole, I mean, we obviously had Britpop, but Cool Comrie as well, the Manic, Super Furry Animals. Um, stereophonics yeah. a bit later on as well. You know, Wales yeah. all of a sudden Reagan getting devolution as well became this sort of cultural uh, phenomenon as well, which was sort of interesting to see happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a there was these explosions of different scenes. You had a lot of this in the eighties as well, including underground indie scenes and all the rest of it. And basically, Britpop was kind of that underground indie pop scene from the late eighties coming above ground and uh, becoming mainstream. So the, the likes of Suede and Blur and and then obviously Oasis um, coming on from the like, you know, from the Manchester scene. Um, yeah, well, it suddenly, I mean, it was suddenly the music to be into. And it's like. sort of interesting, especially in, in this sort of time as well, because you've got Second Coming, which comes out, I think, in 94 as well, if I'm right in saying, yeah. and you sort of got the Stone Roses clinging, clinging on to that. But in yeah. that album especially, there's a lot more of that guitar sound. And even though there is still a, a sort of dance um thing dance scene around this time that mm. sort of fool's gold era of music has sort of moved away to more sort of heavy uh sort of guitar music almost it's interesting yeah, to see that I, I think that a lot of the protracted problems that they had uh with silvertone records kind of affected what they were trying to do in the studio i mean um is it is it called Ten Story Love Song or something? Yeah, was Ten Story Love Song. I think that was one of their highest, anyone, highest yeah. charted uh, songs, singles. That's right, yeah. But it seems to be the only one that that stayed on the theme of that first album mm. in terms of the melody. They were trying to write something. They were trying to be a bit more progressive, I think. Um, but there were so many bands, you know. Radiohead were coming to the fore about that time. Um, Cardigans had come along. Their, their life album is a very, very underrated album because they decided to record everything on a 1970s music studio <laughs> so for the audio file out there it's a really really interesting album i was a, a fan of depeche mode in the 80s and then they brought out songs of faith and devotion and they just became a, easily the the biggest synth pop band in the world um it was a big big uh you know i was into a lot of underground scenes as well but i'm not going to list a whole load of bands that pro- people probably wouldn't have, wouldn't have heard of but Hip hop as well, but I was more kind of the the um, socially aware 
left field kind of hip hop, like disposable heroes of hypocrisy, consolidated, that kind of stuff. That I'm not sure everybody's going to like. Uh, so you, you were more sort of six music before they were a thing, basically. <laughs> well, music is my first love. Mm. So, you know, football are very, very, very close second behind. Um, so I've always been into that scene. Um, so I was always going to gigs and go and buying a hell of a lot of records and all the rest of it. So I was really, really into it. Um, and festival seasons as well. I'd been going to Reading Festival across the early 90s. And then I, the, I was in a band at the time and our singer was always uh, saying, you should come with us to go to this uh, folk festival in Cambridge somewhere called Crop Ready, which is run by the 70s folk band Fairport Convention. And it was a completely new avenue for me. I thought, this isn't, I don't know what I'm going to get out of this, but it turned out to be a really, really cool loving crazy crowd um and a cool kind of a convoy that i was with and you had the likes of um uh what's his name uh, led zeppelin guy robert plant yeah um doing a solo set um procol harem legends from the 60s doing a set and it was kind of a new avenue for me to explore the music that i never thought i would uh, get to see live so yeah. yeah i mean we'll get back to the uh, football in a second but your band actually supported the libertines i'm right in saying we did, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we 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 managed to record a demo um, because uh, for, at the church studios, which is owned by Dave Stewart of the Arrhythmics, and he expressed an interest in possibly signing us to uh, his label, Anxious, who was um, Curve were on that label. So we recorded a demo. It didn't quite work out as well as we wanted it to. Um, you know, things kind of fizzed out. But around that time, um, we were constantly trying to put gigs together and uh, we managed to get a gig at the Hope and Anchor which was like a hotbed um, small venue for new up and coming bands who would always you know a lot of famous bands would make it big after starting out there and um, we just secured this slot on a Saturday night headlining and this band that we never you know we were used to playing with bands we'd never heard of and the Libertines was just another one of them you know but we I I remember them sound checking and they they sound check without singer and i just thought nothing of it at the time i thought well, a few bands have done that before and then later on just before they were about to get on stage to do their actual set this bloke with a trilby hat and long coat comes in um and started singing with them and uh this was their you know this is before i think they got even signed so it was like a very very early material and then later on i do i do remember very very having a brief chat with him at the bar um, because that's what you did. We were like comrades, bands playing gigs together. So we we're just chatting about and, and you know shooting the breeze. And then lo and behold, two or three years later, he's absolutely huge, and mm. I'm still not. <laughs> <laughs> a bit like, um, but like Kevin Keegan's uh, Newcastle side, who were the early pace setters. That was a great handbrake. So Georgie Thompson would be proud of that. Um, <laughs> in August, who actually went four points clear. Um, and we're really looking like they were going to be one of the first sort of teams to really challenge United alongside Blackburn. Yeah. Uh, ultimately fell apart in the end because they sold Andy Cole. But you forget this season because people always talk about United and Blackburn going head to head. But Newcastle for actually most of the season um, were they really were pushing both of them. Absolutely. Because it was the season before or the two seasons before they mounted that big challenge. And when everyone and that's when the, the, the mainstream media were really, really lauding Newcastle. So they were up and coming and they were challenging. Nottingham Forest finished third. People forget that this season, you know. And Nottingham Forest um, were, weren't really 
hyped up by the media anywhere near as much as Newcastle and Liverpool, obviously apart from United and Blackburn as well. So it was a, it was an interesting season for that. Mm, Spurs um, always seem to be quite hyped up with the whole um, yeah. incident with the whole diving thing and everyone going mad because it was one of the first foreign players with, with Klinsman. And there's a great interview with uh, Terry Venables in Selfridges and he's so bitter and he's just talking about being banned basically from White Hart Lane. It's it's so weird how <laughs> nowadays that would be on like a podcast or something. But here he is in this quiet corner of the Selfridges, basically coming <laughs> across as really bitter that he's been banned. <laughs> Spurs were slipping, and a feud between Sugar and England coach Terry Venables meant he was no longer welcome at White Hart Lane. Ozzy had been asked, I think, by the press, would I be welcome? And he said yes. Uh, Alan Sugar said no, and they're having an um, argument without me being in there. I mean, I've done the job and I can continue the job very well, I think, without having to go there. I know if I know anything about Tottenham players and, or seeing them anywhere else, it's not, it's not a big problem for me. <laughs> Absolutely bizarre. <laughs> Absolutely bizarre. I mean, yeah, you make, that, you make a good point about Klinsman being one of the first big signings from abroad. It, it kind of happened after 1978 World Cup, where you had this bizarre uh, signing of uh, Tarantini going to Birmingham, and um, ended up um, being a bit of a uh, bit of a bad boy player, and it didn't quite work out there. But that's an interesting thing because. We talk about this being the season that Cantona did what he did to a football fan. Back in 1979, um, Tarantini, uh, his last game for Birmingham, he went into the crowd following a massive argument. He'd floor, I think it was against United because he floored Brian Green off or something in a fight. Um, and then went into the crowd and punched a fan. And no, as far as I know, no action was taken, no big drama about it, no big scandal. Whereas Eric Cantona, uh, you know, 16 years later, does what he did and gets everything that, had, that he had come into him. Um, yeah, you had, you had um, Osvaldo Ardiles and Vilia signing for Spurs, but other than that, nothing really happened. This, England wasn't a hotbed for signing Galactico players. And then when Cantona came in, I don't really count him either because he wasn't massively known around the world. But Jurgen Klinsmann and Dan Petrescu and Dumitrescu, when they take, came over here that season after the World Cup in 94, they were that was really really big news we hadn't seen this before i remember my brother was um backpacking at the time in south america and he managed to get a managed to phone my mum's house at one point um and uh because you know he follows united as much as me and um i managed to very quickly tell him you know like uh, you hear about spurs um, they've signed Klinsman and Dumitrescu and he's like, you're joking, you know, because it just didn't happen here, signing these big superstar players from abroad. So that kind of, it was kind of a watershed market, set the ball rolling before you knew it, Middlesbrough were signing superstars two years later, you know. Yeah, and when you were talking earlier about some of the, the scandals that in September as well, there's a great um, incident where one of the Sheffield Wednesday players who gets referred to as a mole by uh, some of the newspaper headlines leaks <laughs> stories to the press about how apparently the team is uh, like not together and everything. And uh, I think um, Trevor Francis is kicking off and it's, it's great, great to watch. It's just brilliant. <laughs> there, but Trevor Francis, there were so many managerial changes that season. There really were. I mean, it was happening a lot, but you usually, you had the same old managerial merry-go-round, didn't you? Because you had Ron Atkinson being sacked by Villa. Um, when they were performing badly. And then like a week later, he's at Coventry. <laughs> so like, I, let's just move to another Premier League club. It'll make no difference, you know. 
and uh, Everton as well. Uh, who is it? The Norwich man, the former Norwich legend that was managing uh, Everton. Mike <laughs> so Walker Everton, as well. He, uh, he Mike Walker, sacked. that was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's so, um, the weird thing, especially in this episode, I noticed there seemed to be a, like a weird theme of what looked like a sort of like immigration style graphic of managers getting sats and having like a yeah. stamp put on of saying sats or resigned. It just went on for so long. That was such, so typical of the media wanting to sensationalise anything to do with football. It really was. Yeah, let's make it look so criminal. You know, they've been sacked from their job or they decided to, you know, there's been a change of contract. So let's bang, you know, resigned. I know. It's just why? Why did they need to be so sensationalist about it? But then why do they need to be so sensationalist about anything? It's the mainstream media. Yeah, well, um, there's a great clip actually in October of... Um, like obviously, because Keys and Gray are sort of becoming into their own at this point. Of Andy Gray playing cricket and being really <laughs> shit at it. And then all of a sudden, he starts taking the piss out of Keezy for playing golf. And it's like, hang on a minute, what? Andy Gray playing in the Alan Lamb testimonial. And it got worse, I have to tell you. Behind the visor is Andrew Gray, former Scottish international footballer. That's the game I suspect he should have stuck to. First ball. How is that? <laughs> oh dear. Hey, but listen, I'm not the only one who tried sport. Unfortunately for you, your t shirt was taped. Now have a look at this. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> It's like it's they. It's almost like the beginning of the era of creating personalities out of the presenters. Mm. You kind of had that beforehand, but mainly they were just doing their jobs. And you know, they, if they're a reporter, that you would just see them reporting. Now you're seeing them playing golf, and Gary Lineker is doing adverts for Walker's Crisps, and you know, it was just everyone was suddenly a personality. So I think it's just because you have the, expl the explosion of the fact that the Premier League had started, more money had come in, more promotion of it had come in. Sky were coming with their, with their billions and going, here you go. Um, well, I think we had, um, we had Senton Greavesy, obviously, before this, and they were yes. sort of the pioneers for that. And then mm. Soccer AM, I think, started maybe two or three years after this. And then there was that whole thing around lad culture thrown in there as well, of it being yeah. popular to be a football fan. And then Tony Blair saying it supports Chelsea. And all of a sudden, you've got this total opposite to what it was like mm -hmm. in the 80s where it was almost yes. a, a criminal aspect of being a football fan where Thatcher mm -hmm. basically just despised everyone and a lot of people in the establishment just hated football fans for, for no reason apart from the yeah, fact they were yeah, working yeah. class absolutely right absolutely right everybody was demonized if you were a football fan uh, oh you are trouble you're a hooligan and it, you know when Heisel happened um, I went my family are from uh, the mountains in Italy in the north uh, small village there and even when I went over there in uh, August 1985 there were you know everyone in the villages there knew who I was you know my mum come from comes from there we'd always go there every year to visit but there was always I could see it in their faces there was this kind of oh these two have come from England and they're into football and it's like hang on this is me and my brother hello you know we're not <laughs> where's this image come from and it was demonized by the governments here and um uh, suddenly it was all, um, uh, you know, suddenly it was all uh, tarnished up 
in the 90s and suddenly yeah everyone's a metrosexual and hey lad culture is cool and i think after the hooliganism hooliganism problem died down slightly after the you know the, the 1990 it was kind of a new era where you uh, it was it was trying to build they were building it to be cool to be a football fan again um but i think as what I know is, was this kept going up until 2002 when the World Cup was in Japan and South Korea. Nobody could actually afford to go to that World Cup. And it was suddenly, you could see this kind of progression from it, uh, football being transformed into a more middle-class football fan can be uh, following it now. And uh, even like the people who, anyone who attended Euro 96, and the matches at Wembley, there was this kind of different feel. There wasn't this hate. There wasn't this real uh, anger amongst England, England football fans. It was kind of more, yes, let's just enjoy the moment and, and we're lads and we're cool and all the rest of it. There was definitely a big transformation. Mm, one of the things I liked about this, especially that clearly dated the episode, there was a great thing at St. James's Park where they were making use of the, the modern cathode ray tube technology by playing the United uh, United against Newcastle at St James's, or it was at Old Trafford, and they were playing it at St James's Park on a massive beanbag. They had everyone sat at St James's Park, and I think the, the Gallagher end, speaming the United uh, versus Newcastle game on the pitch on this massive chunky TV. It's just great. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I keep thinking back to the because uh, I watched obviously the this uh, Premier League years, and I. And I remember the Wimbledon elephant. Elephant at the yes. Well, what's yes. that? <laughs> that was in May. This is the yeah. weird thing about Premier League years, right? So you go to basically United beating Southampton. We're jumping forward a bit here to take it to the last day. Yeah. And in between the last day of the season, which is like one of the best last days in Premier League history, we go from an elephant on the pitch at Sandhurst Park for <laughs> Wimbledon's fun day to get more fans in. <laughs> It's just mad. The final weekend began with Wimbledon celebrating another top 10 finish with a fun day at Selhurst Park, where their landlords, weakened by public conflict between chairman and manager, would not be playing in the Premiership next season. And this was Wimbledon, the the no, the most kind of um, you know up and at them football club at the time, because nothing represented 80s football more than Wimbledon in the 90s because they carried on that whole where we well you know less old-fashioned uh, up and atom style of play and um, they were still like that as a football club and then suddenly they've got this fun day and they're trying to attract people to plow lane with <laughs> you know I mean it was just weird really mm. really weird it's a bit like how uh, Millwall try and sort of get a lot of young fans in and have like loads of awards for being like the best family club of the year because the, the reputation <laughs> they have <laughs> <laughs> got to sweep it under the carpet somehow yeah. well um Again, there's another great, great song in October. So Newcastle is sort of doing okay at the minute. Uh, the title race is beginning to hot up. Blackburn lose to United at home 4-2. And QPR, who, let's not forget, have a good team in the, the sort of mid-90s with Les Ferdinand and yeah. a couple of other really good players. They beat Liverpool 2-1. And uh, Dreamer by Living Joy is the song over the top of it. And it's just oh, a, yeah. it's a great time. It's just a great time. Yeah, no, because they were good songs. And then... The, the, the dance music scene exploded after house music in the late 80s and suddenly euro pop was really cool i remember i remember everyone used to slag off that kind of music for being dodgy euro disco now it was more dance it was a bit, bit more you know modernized with the dance thing added to it and 
now it was everyone loved this kind of music and it was feel good factor absolutely yeah 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 but mm -hmm. that, that blackburn united game um you know dalgleish was moaning so much at the end you know after that after and and there was a very very interesting bit of commentary that i heard and i think it was either, i think it was that game um uh, where the commentator, commentator says, we'll never hear the last of this from the Blackburn, Blackburn point of view. I thought, why? It really, it, it just really stank of let's be anti-United, mm. you know, let's, you know, once again, let's glorify and emphasise whenever United get a, a decision that goes their way and then just completely ignore it when United don't get decisions going their way. You know, let's, let's empathise with Blackburn and let's all want Blackburn to win the league. It was kind of that feel to it. From the from the media, mm. well, you know? I remember when um, United won the league. Um, I think it was maybe 10, 11, One of the later Fergie ones, where everyone kind of got bored if United winning all the time. And I think it was. I'm fairly certain it was match of the day. Spent about ten minutes on points of the season where United could have lost the title, and it was just like referee <laughs> decisions. And obviously, when you've got Hanson and Lawrence in there, there seemed mm. to be. And I miss it now. There was a period, especially. Um, I'm kind of a bit too young to remember this, but I remember it when United were still winning things, just about. And the whole ABU thing of anyone but United, people just absolutely hating them with a passion and being obsessed. It was just great fun, you know, to see people have complete meltdowns about how successful they were. It was. It was. I mean, it was to be able to rub it in people's faces, mm. but it was just, it was still frustrating when you would just, like, you would just see the whole ABU factor has been in place for so many years, even in the 90s, where people, you know, it was almost as if, uh, the likes of Hanson and Lawrence, and they just couldn't stand the fact that United were now, as Fergie said, on top of the perch. Um, and they had to uh, get their two bit in all the time to say things and say dodgy things. And, and um, the media narrative has always been that way. You know, there was, I remember whenever, whenever United would get a supposedly controversial referee decision go their way, talk sport, we've seen this yeah. over the last 10 years, would suddenly have a week's worth of shows where the subject matter is do United get favoured by the referee you know and you have the likes of Stan Collymore presenting these shows <laughs> well it's like um Arsenal fans that still feel that the uh the 2004 um unbeatables uh team was somehow a failure of uh corruption because Rooney was given a penalty it's it's, it's mad how some people minds just just work like that I my, my I always go back to the Stoke away game where there was this big media uproar about should Gary Neville have been sent off because mm. he received um, a yellow card. Um, uh, I can't remember what the second foul was, but he didn't get a second yellow for it. And there was this huge scandal by the media about it. Everyone was asking, oh, my God, United being favoured by refs. In the very same match, Rory DeLapp, um, uh, two-footed, Paul Scholes basically in the first half and got a yellow card for that. And then towards the end of the second half, brought down a United player on the edge of the box, went through on goal, didn't get a yellow for that or a second yellow. But the, you know, you know, we must only talk about the United player um, not getting the yellow. This was this summed up everything, you know, and you had uh, Tony Pulis going mad afterwards and all the media. You know, it just went on for weeks. I remember mm. when, when uh, Alan Shearer didn't get his penalty for Newcastle at Old Trafford. It, you know, you would hear Newcastle fans still talk about that four or five years later. It's like, my God, get a life. <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, this is the thing is United was so successful at this point. I mean, 
this is the mad thing. If United had have won the, the FA Cup and the league this year, which they could have done easily, then mm. they would have won five league titles in a row and then would have won the double three times in a row. Um, it's just mad, really. I mean, they beat City 5-0 and they go top briefly and it's still a three-horse race, but mm. you forget before the treble, how dominant this this side was, the sort of 93-94 team, the whole uh, yeah. foreign players rule thing in, in Europe that basically just ruined them right, against Galatasaray and against yeah. Barcelona. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was, it was, it was hard to watch that Barcelona away game um, because, you know, we just couldn't pick anyone. You, you had to put, uh, well, what's his name? Um, uh, Danny Walsh. Uh, yeah, Walsh in goal. Mm. You had Nicky Butt, a 17-year-old. Um just straight from the academy. Here you go. And then here's your chance. <laughs> um, it was just difficult. I remember apparently Fergie had a go at Paul Ince in that game for not working hard enough, you know, in the DM position. I thought, come on, man. <laughs> they're completely, they're completely uh, rolling us over. And we just couldn't get an attack even going, going forward. You know, Ryan Giggs looks lost. Are we right on the wing, like uh, 20 yards away from everybody else? Um, and they were just steamrolling over us. And then, you know, we had to do, we suffered the same against Gothenburg. Um, it just went on. And, um, you know, nobody ever brings that up when it, when they talk about the fact over Fergie only won two Champions Leagues. It was a European Cup. Only the winners could qualify for it for, for many years. You had the high school ban. You had the, 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 the foreigner rule come in and even, you know, even up until like the two thousands, it was only the top two that qualified for the tournament. Whereas now everyone just has their pride of place. You can finish fourth, you can win the Europa league and there you go. You can qualify for it. It's a completely different world now. So okay. yeah, uh, we're into uh, December. Um, and uh, there's again, a lot of scandals in here. Uh, you've got, the whole George Graham thing, you've got Spurs going to a tribunal over the FA Cup, you've got match fixing, it's just mad, really. Arguably the season's biggest and most surprising victory went to Alan Sugar. For a start, he'd won his club six points and also won the fight for Spurs to play in the FA Cup. We welcome the fact that the tribunal confirms the powers of the Football Association to deduct points and to decide who should play in the FA Challenge Cup competition. We're surprised, therefore, that they don't consider such penalties are appropriate in a serious case like this one. It was everywhere, wasn't it? I mean, uh, the Spurs one, I thought it was a bit strange. It, it never gets talked about, whereas United's being forced to pull out the FA Cup was is talked about all the time. Um, and... Uh, um, everyone in the in the show business got asked, uh, you know, the question about it. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, what was caught? I'm not quite. I can't even remember the story that much about the Spurs. So I think it was something to do with punishment for financial irregularities. Um, something to do with. Ah, right, here we go. So um, Tottenham were fined six hundred six hundred thousand pounds and thrown out the FA Cup and docked 12 points after they were found guilty of illegal payments to players um, and appealed mm. an arbitration panel uh, who increased it to 1.5 million but overturned the cup ban and points deduction. I don't even remember the points deduction, to be <laughs> honest. It was, uh... Well, it's mad like Middlesbrough, for example, got docked points because they literally couldn't play any players because yeah. they, were, they were ill <laughs> and got yeah, relegated. Yeah. 
And that's like, oh, we'll just give you another fine. It's like the whole West Ham, um, like Sheffield United thing all over again. Yeah, it just, it's almost, it's, it's again, it's almost favouring bigger clubs. Mm. I mean, Tottenham are just a, 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 a fancy, sexy name for everybody. Um, and maybe it's something to do with that. But then that falls down when you think about the amount of times United have been, have been punished, you know. Yeah, um, well, mm. we're going into sort of Boxing Day. And I, I love this sentence um, that Keezy was saying. So Boxing Day at Main Road, Blackburn Rovers looking to go top. At City, it's so bizarre how that's just completely flipped on its head now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because it's uh, <clears throat> you know, it's Blackburn Rovers going top mm. and not the uh, big glamorous name, I guess. Um, they wanted to, you know, Blackburn Rovers were um, acting like a sugar daddy club at the time, and they had all their their riches of picking out players and. Um, from other parts of the Premier League more than anything else. You know, it's not like they would doubt, you know, like like it is today where you could just go to Argentina and Brazil and buy all these players. Um yeah, but um this is this is how the media worked. It was always, you know, Manchester United were the still playing the best football. They were still the most uh playing the the most attractive football, but Spurs and other teams were also coming up. But you know, Blackburn Rovers to me were playing very functional football, mm. but it worked for them. And the media are going to hype that because it's not. It's, uh, it's funny how we've gone from Jack Walker, who's like a, a local businessman, invested his millions into his, his favourite football team to yeah. state wealth within about 25 years. <laughs> yes, he wasn't exactly a sports washer. Was he? Um, <laughs> it was more, all right, sports washer around our local pubs and local, <laughs> local breweries, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, um, yeah. We've also got... Um, Another thing, which I thought was actually a bit cruel, but there was a thing on a, um, John Jensen scoring his first goal in 98 games yes. for Arsenal. And I'm like, yeah. should you really be taking the piss out of this? You know? <laughs> oh, they just kept typing that up all the time. Because yeah, Arsenal, it was a massive thing amongst Arsenal fans to all shout, shoot, <laughs> if we got the ball. Just because he scored one goal for Denmark in the 92 mm. uh, Euros. Um, and yeah, that... that it it was uh it was a momentous moment for him i'm sure <laughs> so at the halfway point like you were saying blackburn flying three clear of united newcastle have dropped down in fourth 10 points behind yeah. um and then we move into january and we have the the canton ban and there's like loads of ridiculous effects on this montage of it like spinning around and going all these different angles and stuff. But what yeah. I loved the most about this whole package was that there was such a stupid interview with Matthew Simmons. And I quote, yeah. he was upset, he was upset with what I said, but he shouldn't have come at me like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, upset with what I said. And um I, w I was taunting Eric Cantona. But um I don't uh, he shouldn't have uh Come at me like that. <laughs> it's like, um, yeah, he like, deserves his punishment, but um, I was bad. You know, like, what? <laughs> what do you expect? Um, but what, what I've... That, that's something else that happened at a time, and Cantona gets haunted with this every time he comes back to the UK. Um with, with, with the speech about seagulls afterwards but what i couldn't get was that nobody could get what he was saying to me mm. it was just obvious like the seagulls are journalists 
the trawler is the subject matter for the journalists want to get their information from and because it's they want to sensationalize and 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 you know they'll get a bit I don't know, maybe a bigger paycheck or something if they can get a really really hot story they're obviously going to go to this and gravitate to it so that was his what Cantona was was saying you know but people wanted to make it oh my god the French and their philosophy and you know it's just like as if this country doesn't have any um phrases like that you know like moving the mountain to Muhammad and you know we we all come out with these weird phrases and he just came out with one but the media made such a big deal of it because they wanted to treat Cantona like a completely different person. Well, that's the weird thing. So that's almost overlooked in, in January um, over Andy Cole signing for United, which had such a big impact over the next five years. And it's yeah. interesting, like, you know, United actually being efficient in the transfer market for once, especially under yes. Ferguson, like compared oh, to now. A lot then. Yeah, 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 yeah. Completely the opposite. Because we were run properly. Mm. We were run uh, in a way that was going to be beneficial to the future of the club all the time. And Martin Edwards had a great vision for it. David Gill carried that on later on. Because um, uh, they allowed one person to have full control of certain different departments that were vital to his vision of the future of the football club. And it's something like you would think it would be standard amongst most football clubs. But when you're owned by two, you know, so a family in the States that couldn't give a crap until they get their dividends if we finish top four, then none of that's going to be in place. And um, you're seeing a massive difference now with the what the, the perceived incompetency of everybody behind the scenes at United unable to get transfers through. And then back then we could sign... We, you know, we were able to sign Andy Gorham on a whim. <laughs> like, we need keepers. What are we going to do? Right, let's get him in. <laughs> he played for Rangers. Here you go. And you do it like in five minutes, just like that. Um, you know, four or five games, bang. Now it's just impossible. Well, there's uh, a great thing as well, which this is why Ferguson completely had the upper hand of Kevin Keegan obviously getting pissed off at his own fans for trying to compare selling Andy Cole to the other strikers he had when they got promoted. And yeah. uh, <laughs> basically just completely losing the argument. And I think that's the thing, especially in, in the following season, and this season to a point as well, although United didn't win the league and ultimately lost it in the end, in terms of when it came to mind games, Ferguson was just so good at just being able to piss everyone off. <laughs> yes, he did. But then, you know, he's had a lot of peers ever since, a lot of people that have basically been influenced by him. And, you know, the, the, the Mourinho's have come along and... Um, Fergie was just a king of it at the time. And he was able to, you know, I think what he said about Leeds United was a couple of years later. Mm. Um, but, you know, but I thought, I thought um, uh, um, Kenny Dalglish was a, just sound, kept sounding very bitter all the way through the season. Every time he, especially all the ones that they clipped up here, seeing him sound, you know, constantly had to pinpoint it back to United. Oh, referees are fairly uh, favoring United and we're not getting this, but we're, you know, well, we've still got a couple of games and we're going to get, you know, and it was all a bit, it was all a bit po-faced, whereas Fergie could just like, um, I don't know, could just whistle something and it would wind people up. <laughs> mm, well, and this is what we were saying earlier, right, about Britpop. So we go into February and uh, a song that stood out for me that was being played, I think over Blackburn versus Spurs was In Betweener by Sleeper. Great song. Yes, but I think that's also the song um, that sounded a lot like No More Heroes by mm. Stranglers. If you hear the riff, if you hear that song, you'll hear the riff. But a lot of Britpop was similar. like that, wasn't it, really? Yeah, no, I know. Um, it was another band as well. Where, where, there was a few other few bands that were, were, were like that, but it doesn't mean it was... Mm. 
I mean, Oasis were, I mean, Oasis. it's obvious where they got their influences from for a lot of their songs. It doesn't make them a bad group. It just, it's just obvious where they, they took inspiration no, from. This has always happened. It's just, this felt more highlighted at the time because it were bands almost, you know, blatantly, you know, being influenced by their peers as well and being influenced by bands from the past and saying, well, we can write these songs. Um, but that's always happened, you know? I mean, it's no real difference. Like when, um, is it Sugar Babes did Freak Like Me? Yeah. And decided, well, we're not just going to take a riff here. We're going to just use somebody else's entire song <laughs> and have other female singers sing over it. Um, you know, but Gary Newman himself said, well, um, you know, that I, that I think they've done a better version of the mm. song, you know, but it became the done thing to do. But it's always been like that. You know, bands were copying each other in the 60s. Um, there was a different kind of feel to music in the 70s and then punk came along and, uh, you know, but a lot of bands were, were influenced for, by, the, by the bands before uh, punk. So Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple, um, uh, early um, um, Ozzy Osbourne, you know, all that kind of stuff. And the Beatles and the Stones. So those influences were always there. And it didn't necessarily mean that the bands that are taking these new sounds on were bad bands. No, not at all. You know, a lot of them made songs sound better. Mm. Well, there's a great um, game here between Blackburn and Spurs as well. And this is February, by the way. And we've already got 61 goals between the two sets of strikers. Obviously, you've got um, Shearer and Sutton at uh, Blackburn. And then you've got Sheringham and uh, I think it's Glinsman as well at, at Spurs together. Just yeah. absolutely scoring loads of goals. And Keezy can't keep his excitement. There's a, there's a bad montage. There's like a seizure going on, it feels like, at the time. And it was quite funny, really. The game sort of ended 3-1. It was a bit of a disappointment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, this was also the season of um, United beating Ipswich 9-0. Mm. So I always have that image of um, who was the Ipswich keeper? Um, what was his name now? Uh, Craig Forrest. Yes. Yeah, and he was uh, <laughs> him swinging from the from the, uh, from the from the crossbar over one goal, and then you know just looking completely flummoxed when we 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 quick took uh, quickly taken free kick, and the ninth one goes in. It was uh it was like it was kind of like a season for expressions mm. <laughs> for footballers up to a point. Well, again, yeah. you've got Tony Adams in here and John Hartson in the same game. Tony mm. Adams elbows someone in the face, nearly knocks them out, and Hartson comes in, two foot someone, gets sent off with his tackle, and it's like some of this stuff is actually illegal. <laughs> oh yeah, but it was uh it, it, you know, you gotta look of it look everything of how it was at the time, you know. Mm. Um, in the 70s and 80s, you know, putting your foot in <laughs> was just, if you didn't do that, you didn't do it, you were criticised. And um, in the 90s, there were still a lot of hard players. I think Manchester City had Michael Brown come along mm. around that point, maybe a little bit later. Michael Brown, to me, was probably the most dirtiest player in Premier League history, from my point. After the, the way he used to leave his foot in all the time in challenges. And a lot of the time he would get away with it. So it's just definitely been a softer of the game over the years in terms of the rules. Yeah, and uh, Blackburn drop a few more points and they, they lose to Spurs and uh, they only take four points from four games and you're thinking, okay, you know, maybe there's a chance if United to come back. Um, yeah. You sort of go into March a bit more and United beat Ipswich 9-0, like you're saying, but then yeah. they drop more points to Spurs and Liverpool and they're struggling without Cantona and all of a sudden, Blackburn yeah. are six points, uh, eight points clear, sorry, with six games to go. I still hate this thought of, of like 
Manchester United was such a good team, but we were struggling without one player. Mm. <laughs> you know, and it did cost us in the end. It cost us, but but just by one point, um, and it can make all the difference. You know. I look at Liverpool in the early 2010s and what would they, what would they be like without Luis Suarez's goals? Whereas United, it was, uh, you know, I didn't like to look as a, as a one-man team because we had so many leaders, we had so many protagonists, we had so many really, really important players in that team. We just didn't get it over the line right at the end, you know, but obviously we had that extra, that extra bit of magic when we had Cantona playing and that, that did cost us, obviously. Yeah. And like you were saying about Forrest then, I mean, I didn't realise how good they were this season because they beat Sheffield Wednesday 7-1 as well away. And that team yeah. they had in particular was, was good. Yeah. 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 They had a good team. They had, um, I can't remember who their manager was now, um, but they were hot. They were high. You know, every, t- every team will have their own, you know, period of two or three seasons where they will have a very strong team. We just had Norwich. Yeah. Have a sensational. And Norwich, I think, finished near, you know, finished quite low in the table. They went down. They completely they collapsed this season. Yeah. yeah. Because they came close to winning the title in 93. Yeah. And even at the start of 93, 94, there's a discussion of, oh, can Norwich, you know, keep on chasing the, the pack or whatever. And by this season, they're gone completely. They just collapsed entirely. They, yeah. They lost Chris Sutton, Mike Walker mm. had moved on. Um, and it just uh, didn't work out for them. They just couldn't replace these players. But they were a really, really brilliantly drilled team. And they were hard to beat for a couple of seasons. And that, their win away to Bayern Munich was no fluke because I watched that game live and they were they were sensational. You know? Yeah. They really held their own. They, the Bayern had most of the possession, but Norwich were very, very cunning. And, um, you know, they, they, were, they were quick, they were incisive, and they... Uh, could break teams down really well. And of course, by, by 1995, you know, fallen, fallen apart because they lost players. Yeah, there was another great, great thing that I enjoyed, which looked like, again, the sort of mad spirit woman that you find in a town centre, predicting Blackburn to win the title with a crystal ball. <laughs> I see Blackburn Rovers winning the title within these next 7 to 14 days. And also Alan Shearer, He'll score four goals this weekend. <laughs> Anything for a story. It's, it's like uh, it's like all those weird World Cup predicting octopuses and mm. and uh, you know all those all that kind of thing that came along. Oh yeah, um, yeah, that's the mainstream media. They'll just they'll go out into town and find yeah. Let, let's look at this. Let's go find some most weirdest random person <laughs> and um, get them to support that football team. <laughs> you know? Well, they, the thing is, they quite a big lead. It's just people always sort of say narrative United threw the title away. And it, it's kind of true to a point because if they did beat West Ham on the last day, then they would have won the league. But Blackburn was still five points clear with five games to yeah. go, despite losing yeah. to City, and had a massive real advantage. I mean, they were eight points clear in April, even then. So it yeah. was them, if anyone, that was going to throw the title away because they had a big advantage and were just beginning to get a couple of injuries, were dropping points here and there. Um, they, yeah. Yeah, they couldn't handle the pressure. Mm. This is a this is the thing. Fergie always said it, and people always will always say this. The most difficult thing to do in the league is to retain the title. And United managed to do it the season before, but we couldn't quite get it over the line with with, with three in a row. But this was Blackburn, their first attempt. What well, was well, kind of a second? They came quite fairly close the year before, but 
they you know they felt they started feeling the feeling the pinch and feeling feeling the pressure and so they were dropping points but United just didn't quite run out of games to catch up mm, and they beat they beat Newcastle going into the last game of the season which kind of gave them that advantage and such ridiculous commentary. VE Day is also Victory at Ewood Day. It's like, what? <laughs> VE Day is also Victory at Ewood Day for Blackburn Rovers. <laughs> you do wonder who comes up with this stuff in their studios. Like, okay, who's a creative writer here? Okay. <laughs> It's, it's quite funny because United beat Southampton to take it to the last day. And you can sense the obvious disappointment of Sky on one hand going, well, this is great because we can show both games at the same time. But also feeling of oh, United might win the league again. Do you know what I mean? Like... I know. Well, it, it, it felt like that in 2012, didn't it? A little mm. bit. And you would have experienced that, you know, seeing us. You know, I was phoning my friend at the end of the game, like, oh, my God, we, we've how the hell have we won the league? You know, when we were away at, at Sunderland. And then that goal came, went in mm. for City, you know. Um, it felt a bit like that in 95 because we were, I mean, the games, yeah, they were live on TV, of course. Um, but, you know, people put it down to Andy Cole and the people put it down to Miklosko having the game of his life. I thought West Ham were going for every tackle, every mm. ball that last half hour. West Ham were fighting, were playing as if they were trying to go for the title. You know, or at least not concede to win. To win, you know, it was usual. United at everyone's cup final, and West Ham away was always one of those experiences for United. It was always that every player's up for it. The fans are on their feet. The fans are on top of everybody, especially Upton Park, and it just wouldn't happen. You know, because United were for all that that, um, that massive amount of pressure in the last half hour, we didn't create a lot because West Ham were just all back defending for their lives. So it was as if they were trying to do as much to stop us winning it. Um, and this is why when Fergie talked about Leeds United and, and Stuart Pearce, um, so much of this was happening. The teams were just doing everything they could to make sure United wouldn't win a match. And West well, that's the thing with, with Cole. People always talk about him missing chances. And, you know, it is, there are a couple of good chances that he probably should have taken. But mm-hmm. people say, well, if Cancelo would have played, he would have taken that. But Cancelo in big games for United, like Dortmund, for example, in the Champions League, and it's sort of mm-hmm. like that. It's not as simplistic as just saying, well, if Cancelo yeah, was right. playing, he would have scored those chances or United would have won the title because Blackburn were a really good team. Um, and there's no guarantee to say that Cancelo always showed up in big matches because especially in Europe, he, he didn't. No, he was starting to he was starting to do that a year or two later mm. a lot more. But he couldn't really do that in, in 94 because again, he was, you know, which games did he play because of the foreigner rule? So he wasn't always there anyway. Um, and even if he was, we were still uh, handicapped. So it was very, very difficult. And but he, you know, if Can- if Cantona had played in that West Ham game, he'd have been out wide, playing subtle passes or whatever. He wouldn't have been in the penalty area going hell for leather to try and get a header in and header in on goal from crosses, you know. It would have been a different way that we would have played, but it wouldn't necessarily have meant that we would have won, you know, because West Ham were defending for their lives. Mm, and you know, and uh, that happened throughout the season. Liverpool obviously end up beating Blackburn in the end. And th- that's what I'm saying before. United could have won five in a row. And I think the FA Cup as well was more of a disappointment because Everton really weren't that good and just stayed up the year before. And that was probably more of an opportunity to win more silverware. And I think as well, probably losing the league didn't help a week before. But it's interesting how, you know, how strong Ferguson was. I'm, I'm, and I'm going on about this, but literally 
the following season, United win both both trophies. It's it's yes. it's mad. Yeah, because uh, we were that good a team, and if you get Cantona back, which we did in October, um, and the wheels start turning again with him in the team, then you know that's what happened. Cantona came back a different player. He was no longer stamping on people. He was no longer getting to, getting into trouble. He just let his quality shine through, and he was almost a different player when he came back, whereas he was already massively influential before, but he would get the odd red card, he would get, you know, and he had the incident at Palace. But even so, obviously, everyone knows his influence. Um, yeah, it was just one of those things. I mean, um, when we lost that title, uh, or Blackburn won it, if you want to put it that way, whereas um, there was a lot of teams who were very, very strong at the time. And it was a very, very competitive league back in those days. You know, uh, you know, people will like belittle the idea that, oh, we were fighting Norwich for the league. Well, you know, Norwich were that good. And people don't want to believe that because it's Norwich. People don't want to believe that Blackburn were that strong because it's Blackburn. Um, whereas now you've just got the same four or five teams. You know, the big four, as a phrase, didn't really start until the late, the late, the late 90s, 2000s. Before that, you still had teams like Nottingham Forest finishing in the top four, surprising everybody. Um, I remember Southampton in the 80s had a mm. fantastic season when Keegan was there and they finished third or something. Well, I mean, especially under um, McManamy as well. They they did very nearly won the league title um, yeah. in that period. But I mean, it's interesting because Arsenal, there's, a, there's actually a bit in here where it's talking about Arsenal fighting to stay up with Villa as well, who had, had put, put United pretty much all the way in 92, 93 as well. And it just seemed like, I mean, obviously, it was inevitable with all the money that were that was involved, but it was a lot more open as a league, which is how Blackburn were able to, to win the title. And it just seemed that it wasn't quite like it is now, where it, you almost feel like it's going to be the same two or three teams that are going to be at the top of the, the table every season. Yeah, I, I remember saying a few weeks ago, um, I think I said it to Steve, um, but I've said I've always said this, like I, I from the from a from a from an era where. I do miss it when it was when European nights were every match was on a Wednesday. You had European Cup, Cup Winners' Cup, and UEFA Cup, and all three competitions were were given credence. All 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 three were worth winning. It wasn't like the the perception you have now, whereas where the the Europa League just feels like secondary. Um, and every year now, you just have the same five or six clubs in the quarterfinals every single season near enough or it feels like that whereas back then um you could you would have you know cska sofia you would have um athletic bilbao doing well you would have teams from romania and bulgaria and they would feel exotic because we didn't mm. know we had there was the uh, the iron you know you had communism at the time so you had the iron curtain so little was known about a lot of the teams on the you know behind that and they would come together in european competition it was fun well, you had you had Stour and Red Star both winning the European Cup. Absolutely. Um, and you know, even even in the Cup Winners' Cup, you still had teams like Dinamo Tbilisi from from Georgia and, and teams like that that no one had really heard of. He just absolutely put teams like Liverpool to the sword. And it's interesting yeah. now. I mean, yeah. for me, what I really enjoyed in the Champions League this season was uh, the wonderful. I mean, you know, the owners probably aren't great, but Sheriff beating Real Madrid. That was a complete throwback to that because absolutely, I love the yes. fact that. They were wearing like Adidas, looked like Sports Direct kits that were just a complete <laughs> template. And like the names were quite clearly just like printed on the back from like the yeah. local like sports shop, basically. And it was amazing. Um, 
yes, it was like Videoton all over again. <laughs> Videoton, we went out to them and we lost to them in penalties and United did not play well in either leg. And um, But they then went on to the final of the UEFA Cup back when it was two-legged final and won in the Bernabeu. And they, they deserved it. You know, they'd already lost the first leg at home 3-1. And Real Madrid were going to, you know, everyone was expecting them to, to just completely steamroller all over them. But they gave him a game in the second leg, and that was the beauty of it then. You know, you didn't know how well. But Dinamo, Dinamo, um, Spartak Moscow, they came, they went to Highbury in the early 80s and won 5 2. And all they did was just soak up pressure and hit them on the break five times. <laughs> well, it's like um, United were very close to playing Dynamo Kiev in the, in the Champions League final in 99. Because mm. um, they took Bayern all the way in the semis pretty much, and they had a great team with Shevchenko and other, other players now. but because a lot of European leagues are just export economies to Europe because they just can't afford to keep hold of their best players because of the way of the imbalance that exists in European football. Mm. It's almost impossible for a team to, to keep their best players because they have to sell them because that's just how they, they operate as a business, which is kind yeah. of sad, really. But Norwich, Leicester and Ipswich all go down this season. Some things don't change. Um, yes. <laughs> and there's a, a great closing montage to all-time high from Octopussy to Blackburn winning the league, which is a bizarre choice. I know. I don't even know that song that well. I thought at least pick something that was a huge hit. We'll get something out of it. But yeah, it was a bit, a bit weird. But that's how they like to end the shows. You know? mm. But obviously, they were going to glorify Blackburn at the end. They won the league. So good luck to them that year. But... Um, yeah, that's Sky for you. <laughs> mm, but it's interesting how afterwards that, that Blackburn team kind of capitulated and uh, failed yeah. completely. But I mean, you know, I'm sure if you're a Blackburn fan, you still uh, have fond memories of 94-95. Oh, it was their first title for something like yeah. 70 years, you know, you're going to. Um, massive, massive thing. But it was, like I say, you have these, period, these, these little halcyon periods where clubs will have their two or three years of fame because they've got managed to build a good team together, but they're, they're, they're at that level where they can't rebuild on those teams. So every single one, even Blackburn's case, um, they met some financial issues after that, I think, where they just mm. weren't able to replace. Well, they went, they went down in 98 or 99. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think it was long after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, you know, for me, it's always a great thing to have teams come along even though Blackburn did it, you know, cheating a little bit with the sugar daddy money. But even so, you know, at least it kept things fresh a little bit more. Whereas now it's just, you know, you know what the top four is going to be. You know what most teams are going to be in the top 10. It's a completely different world because the financial um, aspect of the game has just pushed the rich clubs further, that further one way and everybody else further down. Um, what can you do? It's a completely different, uh, different feel now. Mm, and that kind of brings us to the end of this uh, one hour 40 marathon that is Premier League years 94-95. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. Where, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, you can uh, get me on Twitter at, uh, at Cranium O um, or you can check out my uh, YouTube channel San, uh, Santa Notch. I've got a few videos on there, uh, mainly done about music or about food. Um, I tend not to do so much One's about football because I've got too many experts that I follow to that do, do a better job of it. Um, but yeah, come check out some of those videos on there that I've done.